G'day everyone and welcome to Garden Guy Dale K's Big Backyard. I'm your host for the next 20 minutes or so. Ah, we'll call it 25 minutes. I'm your host, Garden Guy Dale K. Hope you had a great week. Um, here in the upper Midwest or in Minnesota in general, we had a massive ice storm roll through the region and I wasn't home at the time. This was occurred over a Saturday night. I wasn't home at the time, but came back to the Twin Cities and my backyard was just, it almost looked like a little mini twister went through my backyard. So I've got all sorts of pruning to do. It looks like I've got to go out and get a little bit more of a powerful pruning saw, more like a chainsaw. So I've got to research that, probably got to call some tree experts, have them come out and take a look because some of the damage is quite high. So lots of things going on in my backyard. Hopefully in your backyard, it's a little bit quieter. Um, but if you're listening in this region, I'm sure you may have some ice damage as well. So don't forget to go out and prune all that damage. It'll, it'll make your plants look a lot better or your landscaping look a lot better and also help promote some uh, some new growth. So that's going on in my backyard. Like I said, hope thing, hopefully everything is going uh, better in your backyard anyway. Uh, this week on the podcast, I uh, want to touch on some early veggies that you can plant pretty much almost right now, or at least once the, the thaw comes out of the ground. And even if the thaw is not out of the ground, I've got one that you can, you can still plant. And it's really t- kind of timely for around that Easter season or just after Easter. And um, we'll talk about those. We'll do some quick tips for uh, straw bale gardening. That's also an easy way to get uh, gardening started even a little bit earlier than maybe your your regular uh, garden that the soil may not have thawed yet or if you're tight on space. And hopefully we'll get some time for some garden questions as well. So one of those things that really says spring to me and I'm not really a big golfer at all, but the Augusta National uh, down in Georgia is going on this week. And I guess the Azalea, they've had an unusually warm uh, spring in that region. And the the Azaleas are pretty much already bloomed. So if you're, uh, if you're a big golf fan or if you're like me, you just love looking at all the landscape. They just do... The groundskeepers down there just do an outstanding job, not only of the, the the fairways and greens, but just general landscaping. It's so pretty to see all those azaleas in bloom. And if you're if you're a, a golf fanatic, you know that down there the thirteenth hole is named the azalea hole because at last count, I think they have about well, it's actually over a thousand individual plants line the perimeter of that hole so it's one of those holes that always gets a big crowd because it's so so visually outstanding so this year unusually uh warm spring that's going to leave a lot of golf fans um maybe lack or lusting for more color i guess down there um but nonetheless still it'll still be beautiful landscaping they have actually 30 something varieties different varieties of azaleas of course that's uh, uh in the rhododendron family but there's no rhodes out there they're, they're mostly true azaleas and if you're looking for some some tips to growing your own beautiful azaleas here is what the the gardeners down there um do the most and there's all this 
urban, you know, folklore about how they always get them to bloom on time and, you know, they're putting ice, packing ice around them or there's special heating underneath all these garden beds. Um, the truth of the matter is the 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 golf um, tournament there is is usually pretty lucky about having at least some of those varieties of blooming, if not all of them this year, as I mentioned, a little bit different. But their, their tips to success down there uh, morning light, morning, morning, morning light is key. You'll see that around the 13th hole. There's not a lot of big tree canopies there. Uh, uh, excellent drainage uh, is key for azaleas. And their little secret, and you, you'll see this in the south a lot, um, lashings of pine straw around their azaleas. It creates a little bit of natural acidity, and they just seem to like it. Okay, let's get into uh, some gardening and some of the some of the veggies that you can start really, really early. And we're not talking tomatoes and peppers. Um, wait till the soil's really super warm to plant those. But some some of my favorites are um, some of the roots. You know, so the roots, crowns, tubers. Asparagus is is a great one, and a couple of great varieties to watch out for, particularly if you're in the northern climate here. Uh, Mary Washington is a great one. It's early, which is which is good, and it's really tender and very straight growing. Uh, that's a great variety. If you're looking for um, one of the purple, well, basically the variety is called purple. It's a larger stalk, a um, little bit thicker, still tender, but it has a little bit more of a nutty flavor. And you'll find those as as roots, or you know, the crown is still attached. You'll find those as roots at your favorite local um, garden shop. Also, some uh, some plants that you can start now from seed and then transplant out into the garden. Or if you're lucky enough and you've got some ground thawed, um, you could seed them right now. And that's all. That's a lettuce and arugula, uh, radishes, and spinach. And as far as um, lettuce goes, I here's here's what I plant at home. I like the Pyrrhus Island. It's a romaine lettuce. Um, I can harvest them when the leaves are young, or or let them kind of. Um, clump up into a, uh, or head up into a lettuce head. That's a great variety. There's a variety called salad blend that you can get from seed. It's uh, it's mature in about 45 to 70 days, so it's it's pretty quick. And then there's a green leaf type that's called salad bowl, and I love planting that one too. It has a really sweet flavor. I'm not really into into the bitter lettuces. If I want to plant bitter, I, I plant or if I need that bitter for for recipes or for salads i use arugula for the lettuce i like the sweeter blends that's just me um but there's you know there's there's literally hundreds of different types of lettuces that you can plant so those those are good ones also radish is a great early um spring veggie i plant these two varieties one is called french breakfast it's an elongated uh it's an elongated radish and has a really really sweet really nice flavor matures super fast 25 to 30 days the other one is more your typical globe it's called early scarlet and that's even quicker if you can believe that that's up and running or that's ready for harvesting in under 25 days so um, some great um, some great uh, salad ingredients there and then I also love planting spinach I plant it early then I come back and plant it later in the season um, my go-to variety there is called Bloomsdale, and the reason I like that variety is it just tends to not bolt as quickly as some of the others. Of course, when it gets hot, all these lettuces and spinaches tend to bolt and, and run away on you. So Bloom, Bloomsdale is one that is a little bit more resistant to, to bolting super quick. Now, one of my ultimate all-time favorites 
uh, veggies to plant is um, potatoes. And of course, if you want to get a lot of bang for your buck, you can plant them in rows in your in your in your garden, and you'll get a lot of a lot of um, potatoes that way. If you're small on space, or you want to start early, or you're you're a traditionalist and you always plant around that east around Easter time, you can plant them in containers. Big containers are better, but really any type of container you can start to plant uh, potatoes. In our northern climate, I'll give you some varieties to look out for. You'll you'll find them at your favorite local garden shop um, or feed store. Sometimes you'll find them in big sacks or um, in little brown packets. But some varieties that I like. Well, actually, my my favorite. Maybe I'll leave my favorite variety to last, but uh, some great varieties for this climate. Kennebec, it's an all-purpose white. It's good for baking. It's good for making French fries out of. Uh, matures, um, one of the, it's one of the longer maturing ones, so this is one that you want to plant around the, uh, either as soon as the ground thaws or around Easter time. It's 90 to 100 days out. Another, uh, another very popular one, really globally almost, and you can plant up in the northern climate is Yukon Gold. That's the one, that's the potato that has a little bit more of a yellowish flesh that's uh harvest is about 85 to 100 days just to, just depending on how mature you you want or how large you want the the spuds to be red pontiac if you're looking for a red skin potato um it's actually really a nice crisp white flesh which is great for boiling it's good for baking it's it's good for mashing if you want to mash um, but red Pontiac is a great all-purpose red potato that's also ready in, a, in about 80 to 100 days now my favorite and this is just a personal taste uh, personal uh, preference um, I like it number one is because it's ready in under 90 days so that's advantageous and I also like harvesting them small so you can even maybe squeak away with even less than that. Um, it has a white skin, but most importantly, a really nice white flesh. That's that's my preferred potato. The variety is called Superior. It's absolutely perfect for a northern climate as well. So there's my veggies that you can plant right now. And or, yeah, you can plant them right now. Of course, it's still snowing. It's There's still snow out by me, but you can get them started in seeds first. Or go ahead and start your potatoes in containers. Asparagus, that one is best waited till um, you can get out and plant into the ground. One other thing I had the chance to do this week was I did a little news story on... um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I do uh, some gardening. Actually, for a long time, I've done gardening segments for the local Fox affiliate here in the Twin Cities. So... Photojournalist uh, Greg Keller and I uh, traipsed out to uh, do a story on maple syruping. And I had not been, and it was, I should also mention, we went to one of the Three Rivers Park District's um, nature centers here in the Twin Cities called Lowry. And it's out by, it's out in Carver County, very close to the town of Victoria. If you haven't been out that way, um, it looks absolutely stunning. A lot of trails look like they had a little bit of camping out there as well. I'm definitely going to have to check it out when the weather is a little bit warmer. But anyway, we traipsed out there and did a did a news story for maple syruping. And um, I was the, the one thing I learned, and I've done tap, tapping of maples and all sorts of things for a long time. But the naturalist there that we spoke to um, pointed out that Native Americans bypassed the syrup altogether they they boiled that sap down to um till it crystallized till it was 
sugar, and that was a really important sweetener um, that the Native Americans uh, used. So I found that very interesting, and you know some other little tidbits of you know information is um, I'm just always amazed at how much sap you really need to get to syrup, let alone just the sugar, the maple sugar itself. But you know that forty to one ratio. So you, you literally need forty gallons of sap to make just one gallon of syrup. So that's that's kind of that's kind of amazing. Um, not every state in the lower forty eight is can even um, tap or is has maple trees and maple forests. So um, in in Minnesota, we're at the very western edge of of maple tree tapping. You know, you don't have to go too far west, and it's basically prairie. So you know, obviously, at the other end of the scale, you've got Canada and Vermont that are the literally the capitals of maple syruping. And here in Minnesota, we're kind of right on the fringe. But um, it was great to get outdoors. It was great to um, to trudge through the snow. And the the reason I bring this story up is if you're if it's not quite spring where you are yet. Don't worry, because as soon as you start to get that the, the sap flowing in trees and you, you know, a lot of times spring occurs underground with soil temperature. I actually have a good uh, question this week on soil temperature. We'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, but oftentimes spring really starts underground with soil temperature. And that's really some of the beginnings of spring. And maple syruping, maple tapping is one of those key indicators that even though it may not look spring outdoors, don't worry, spring is coming. So uh, last week we talked about maybe uh, touching on some straw bale gardening tips. We'll, we'll do that. But I wanted to get to this, uh, to a garden question that I had this week. And the question came in locally here. Um, Cody asked, um, how fast can grass go from dormancy to green and growing and need a mowing? And it was almost, that's, I'm just like, oh. That question kind of rhymes. How fast can grass grow from dormancy to green and growing to needing a mowing? Well, here is here is how that works. So I mentioned soil temperature, and of course, that's very different than air temperature. We have cool season grasses, um, whether it's ryegrass, um, bluegrass, fescues. They're all lumped into a, a, a grouping called C4 or cool season grasses. And there's a couple of, um, there's a couple of, temperature points where things start to happen for those grasses. Firstly, germination on cool season grasses occurs when soil temperature is about 52 degrees. That's when it's warm enough that um, the, the sea will, will initiate, um, initiate um, germination. And that's different than warm season grasses. You've got to be in the 65 degrees or, or sometimes even into that 70 degree temperature range to initiate germination. So cool season grass is a lot different. Um, they're adapted to cool weather, and they actually go dormant in the summer. That's why you'll find the lawns really start to slow down in the summer because they just they just don't like it. So when when those cool season grasses, when soil temperature gets up around 64, 65, 67 degrees, that's when they start to put on growth. Um, that's when they they're released from dormancy and they start to put um, put on growth. And somewhere when you get some a week of consistent soil temperature, not air temperature, soil temperature of around that those mid, mid to upper 60s, 
that's when grass really begins to grow. And then you'll look outside and get that urge because some are a little bit slower than others. You know, ryegrass is quicker than bluegrass, but it'll start to get, I call it hairy. You know, you wake up in the morning and your hair's all messy. It's kind of hairy. When your lawn starts to look hairy and you look outside and you have that urge to mow your lawn, that's when soil temperature is in those higher mid to, uh, mid to high 60s. And one other tidbit of information that's usually when your lilacs are blooming. So, th so how the question is, how fast can it go from that to that? Well, that's really up to Mother Nature and soil temperature. And if you're if you want to nerd out on soil temperature, you can buy soil temperature thermometers, or you can you know there's those um, thermometers that you can stick in stakes and your roast and all that stuff. Go out and stick that into into your into your soil. And that'll give you soil temperature and becomes uh, important or a lot of uh, veggie, gar veggie gardeners will use those probes to check soil temperature so they know when to plant their veggies outdoors. So I thought that was a really good question and it really is up to Mother Nature, but that's kind of the mechanics behind, behind, um, uh, behind when lawns, or especially up in the upper Midwest, start to activate, come out of dormancy and get growing. If you have a question, it's easy to do on Instagram. Send me a message, Dale K, Garden Guy. It doesn't get any easier than that. We'll get your questions answered right here on Garden Guy, Dale K's Big Backyard. So let's finish up um, with some, some straw bale gardening. There's some tips to it. It's about a 12 at least a minimum of a 12-day process to get your straw bale ready for planting. So let's run through the process of straw bale gardening. Easy to do. Firstly, you need um, a bale of straw. You can find that at a garden shop or at a feed store. Um, give them a call first because sometimes straw becomes, oh, it's you know, it's not readily available like it used to be, I guess. So check that. Make the drive. Go get yourself a couple of bales. Uh, day one, you place actually place the, the straw bale on its side, and then you add about a half a cup of high nitrogen fertilizer. Urea is the most um, commonly available, or ammonium sulfate is the other one. Um, or you can, if, you, if you're using a regular fertilizer or an organic fertilizer, or want to uh, uh, do that organically, it's three cups of bone meal, feather meal, um, something along those lines. The next day you come along with a bunch of warm water and water all that fertilizer, whether it's the half a cup or three cups, depending on what you use, you want to water that in with warm water. The next day, it's almost like baking a cake, there's a process. The next day you add another half a cup of that high nitrogen fertilizer, the urea or ammonium sulfate, or another three cups of that organic fertilizer. And then the next day you water it all in again. So we're up to about day five now, we're up to about a week. And then you want to do that process one more time. So you're really pumping a lot of fertilizer into the straw bale. And what that's going to do is kind of heat the whole thing up. So um, it's kind of like cooking. You're basically cooking your, your straw bale with that water-fertilizer combination. And it should, by about day six, day seven, it almost should smell like it's cooking. Um, and that's how you know that process of decomposition and, and heating up is working. Um, you know, after about nine, ten days, go ahead and add another quarter cup or one and a half cups of your fertilizer mix. Um, that really starts to activate it. And then finally, on about day 10, day 12, you want to add a cup of balanced fertilizer like 10, 10, 10, or maybe just some, some fish meal or a feather meal, bone meal. Um, and then by about 
day 18 or so, day 18 or 20, your straw bale will be ready for planting. Uh, depend a little bit depends on your your air temperature. Um, a little bit depends on um, how that fertil how your your process and you know whether you followed all those processes right um, ends up. So um, that's the process of um, of getting the bale ready. From there, it's simply planting your transplants you know remove them out of the pots and you're actually kind of um you're actually kind of creating little holes just like just pretend at this point you're just pretending like your straw bale is basically like dirt there's no need to add potting mix or anything this is the kind of the beauty of straw bale gardening um, but basically you're you're just treating that straw bale like it was your your garden outside and then from there it's just general care right uh, keep an eye on the watering uh, make sure your straw bale is in plenty of sunlight and midsummer, if you need to add a little bit of fertilizer, go ahead and do that. So um, that is straw bale gardening. And the thing I like about it is um, you can do all this gardening in a small space. Um, you don't need a lot of dirt. And then the the straw bale itself, once you're done with the season, you can kind of compost that or dig it into the garden. And that's absolutely beneficial for 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 your garden so there is uh garden guy dale k's big backyard for this week i hope like i said i hope things are doing a lot better in your backyard than my backyard i got some work to do so i'll definitely have an update next week about um tree calling tree service companies how that how that goes for me and uh what uh pruner i end up buying That'll come into play. And, you know, I've got a whole shed full of pruners not, and pole pruners and nothing, all that kind of stuff. But I don't have a chainsaw, but I think I'm at that point. It really looks like a, a little twister went through my neighborhood. There's so much damage. I feel so bad for people. You know, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of established plantings really took a beating in this ice storm and heavy snow over the, over this past week. So, uh, don't forget, uh, take some of these tips, incorporate them into your own backyard, and we'll have a lot of success together as we go through the season. This podcast is a production of Big Backyard Media in conjunction with my very good friend, engineer Chip Elmquist. We love bringing these podcasts to you. Thanks for joining me um, here again on Garden Guy Dale K's Big Backyard, and hopefully you have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Bye for now.